you so much, Handbell Choir, and thank you to Brinkley and that children's sermon for reminding all of us men folk we have only 11 days left to get our Christmas presents bought, right? If you're like me, you kind of wait to the last minute on some of this stuff. It is so good to be back here with you. I can't tell you how much we missed being here the past two Sundays. Uh, it's just, it's, you know, worshiping from home on the internet is a blessing. I'm so glad we have it, but it's not the same. It is not the same as being here with God's people in this beautiful sanctuary, especially as it's decorated for Christmas. So I want to thank you, and on behalf of my family, thank you for your cards and your texts and your phone calls and your prayers. And we are doing so much better and are just so grateful uh, that the, the symptoms that we had from COVID-19 were mild. I know there are many others that have dealt with far, far worse with this than we have. And we continue to pray for all of those. We have a lot of uh, empty pews today because a lot of people are at home either sick with this or they're quarantined because they've been around somebody who has it. So uh, hopefully you're worshiping with us online or on the radio. And again, we're grateful that we have that capability. You know, in Advent we focus on hope and peace and joy and love. These are intangible qualities and they seem so far out of reach sometimes, don't they? They can almost seem to be unattainable. I mean, they sound nice. But, you know, it's kind of like expecting Santa Claus to bring you a new sports car or the keys to a million-dollar home, right? It sounds nice, but don't get your hopes up. And we can especially understand people being skeptical this year of all years. People think that hope that doesn't disappoint is a fairy tale. Peace and joy seem to be things that COVID has stolen from us, just like it's stolen our health and our jobs and businesses and for some people their life savings and their loved ones and our freedoms. And then you throw onto that the politics of 2020, right? I mean, with an election that's being questioned, with political polarization like we've not seen in generations and a growing distrust in the news media, social media cracking down on free speech, rioters tearing down our history and burning down businesses and threatening citizens simply for believing something different. Aren't you weary of all of this? I am. I'm so weary. I'm weary of schools being shut down again and again. I'm weary of hearing about more people I know and love having COVID-19. I'm weary of the social distancing. I'm weary of the mask wearing. I'm, I'm weary of the little yellow ropes we have on our pews. I'm weary of all of this. So how can we have hope? How can we ever find peace and joy in a world like this? The line in O Holy Night, that's the title for today's message, speaks to me so much more this year than it ever has. I kind of just sort of just kind of overlooked this part of the song, but it says the weary world rejoices. The weary world. That line, I think, captures the emotion we all feel right now. But you know, weariness isn't new to 2020, is it? People throughout human history have experienced weariness. We'll find weariness in 2021. But that idea of the weary world, that song, though, gives us hope. Because what does it say the weary world does? Does it say the weary world gives up? Does it say the weary world never ends? No, it says the weary world what? Rejoices. So on the one hand, we might feel like Isaiah and David, who both watched uh, enemies come to God's people. Isaiah watched Babylon descend on Judah 
and he prayed, how long, O Lord? Maybe that's how you feel. That cry of desperation, that admission that all is not right with the world. But on the other hand, while we know that as sorrow may last for the night, joy comes in the morning, we end that prayer of desperation, that how long, O Lord, we end it with the hopeful cry, even so come, Lord Jesus. You might remember from a few Sundays ago, I talked about this idea of foreshadowing. That not only does Jesus' birth fulfill ancient prophecy, but it points ahead to the very purpose for which Jesus came. We talked about how similar the scenes are between Jesus' birth and His resurrection. How in both you have angels who are proclaiming this amazing, life-changing news to unlikely audiences, to shepherds and to women. And both stories involve fear as that initial, that initial emotion that the recipients of this amazing news experience. But the result of hearing the news in both instances is joy. It results in joy. The angels speaking to the shepherds quell that initial fear by telling them in Luke 2, I br- do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause what? Great joy for all people. And then we go on to see and hear and feel that joy as they leave their flocks behind and they rush into the sleepy little town of Bethlehem to see for themselves what the angels have told them. And then after seeing baby Jesus, they rush into town to tell everyone else this good news they have seen and heard. Look with me, if you will, at Luke chapter 2. And we'll just read verses 15 through 20. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. And this, again, is mirrored in in Matthew chapter 28 in the way the women at the tomb that early Sunday morning, 33 years later, rushed to tell the rest of Jesus' followers the good news that the tomb was empty, that Jesus had been risen from the dead. And at first, their emotions are, are that of fear and shock and grief and worry. But then as Matthew describes it, these feelings gave way to joy. He says, so the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell the disciples. Now, maybe you feel like the opposite of this verse today. Maybe for you, it's more like you have some joy, but you're filled with fear. Maybe fear and and worry and anxiety and weariness are the dominant emotions in your life right now. Because, let's be honest, for a lot of people, Christmas presents and celebrations are the farthest things from their mind. Maybe you feel more in tune with David's prayer in Psalm 13, which sounds a lot like Isaiah's. It says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? David's feelings and questions may echo your own. Maybe you're wondering how long this is going to go on. How long are you going to feel this way? Has God forgotten us? Is COVID-19 here forever? 
How long, O Lord? Psalm 137 gives a stark example of these very feelings, and it gives us a glimpse into the emotional state of the Jewish people in the Babylonian captivity. In Psalm 137, verses 1 through 6, says, By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Like the Jews exiled in Isaiah's day, our sorrow can sometimes make it nearly impossible for us to sing songs of joy. For those who have experienced loss, who are walking through the valley of grief, for those who are concerned about their health or their finances. The Christmas cheer can almost seem unbearable. You know, everybody else is singing and happy and doing all this, but you're struggling today. You're wondering, how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in 2020? While I'm battling cancer. When I've lost my spouse. But David goes on to give us the answer. In Psalm 13, verses 5 and 6, he continues that prayer where he's asking, How long, O Lord? But then he says this, But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for He has been good to me. We must trust in God's unfailing love and rejoice in His salvation. We choose to sing His praises because we remember that He has been good to us. Thankfully, joy that we're talking about today isn't an emotion. It isn't just a feeling that we have. It's a choice that we make. It's a state that we choose to live in. Happiness is an emotion that's dependent on our outward circumstances because things can make us happy and things can make us sad. But joy is different. Joy is an attitude of the heart. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And we must pray and strive for that fruit to be born in our lives, that fruit that can endure the sorrows and the trials of life. Now, happiness is predictable. right? Good marriages make us happy. Rewarding jobs make us happy. Fun vacations make us happy. Winning seasons make us happy. Watching Florida lose yesterday makes us happy. Amen. But joy isn't as predictable. Joy turns up when we least expect it. When things don't go as planned. When our side loses. When we need it most. That's when God blesses us with true, deep, Abiding joy. In Galatians 6, 7, Paul affirms a universal truth, one that's mentioned many times throughout the Bible. He writes, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. That makes sense. We see that all the time. You work hard, you, you get paid. You study hard, you make good grades. You reap what you sow. But there's another truth found in Scripture that can seem to contradict this truism, but in reality, it's a promise. The fruit of God's grace and mercy. The psalmist beautifully reveals for us in Psalm 126. He says, those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. 
He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. And so the beauty of Christmas is the truth that while we may have sowed rows and rows and rows of seeds of fear and sorrow and weariness through the grace and power of God in Jesus Christ, those seeds are miraculously transformed into an abundant crop of joy. Imagine, could you imagine those of you that garden or farm, you go out and you sow one kind of seed and, and it starts to grow up and sprout, and then at the end of the season you reap something totally different than what you planted? That's what God promises for us. We sow sorrow, but in Christ we reap joy. And one of the best places to study about this idea of joy is in Paul's letter to the Philippian Christians. Philippians is often called the epistle of joy because he focuses on it so much. Turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Verses 3 through 6, we're going to start there as we continue to think about joy, especially in the midst of such a sorrowful, wearying time as we are in. Paul writes, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now this is even more amazing when you consider Philippians as a letter of joy when you realize that Paul wrote this while he was in prison. He wrote this letter in prison. Now Paul faced a lot of hardships for the cause of Christ. He, he writes about this thorn in the flesh that he had. We're not sure exactly what it was, but he prayed constantly for God to take it away and God never took it away. But over time, Paul learned to not focus so much on his weakness, but to focus on God's strength at work in him. Paul was arrested multiple times for preaching the gospel. He was beaten at least three times. Nearly stoned to death once, shipwrecked four times. He ended up in prison. And eventually, tradition says, he was beheaded. Yet Paul writes about rejoicing always, in all circumstances. Now, how can we find the kind of joy that Paul had in the trials and circumstances we face today? How can we reap a harvest of joy when it feels like all we've sowed are seeds of fear and sorrow and weariness? Well, ultimately, it's the Spirit's work, right? I mean, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. But it's a Spirit's work in the same way that Christ being conceived in Mary's womb was the Spirit's work. The Holy Spirit did that. Mary didn't do anything to accomplish that, but Mary did have a say in this. Mary did have a choice to make. Mary could have said no. God could have found someone else to bear his son into the world. So Mary partnered with God in bearing Jesus, carrying him, delivering him, raising him. And in the same way, yes, joy is a fruit of the Spirit developed in our lives, but we have a say in it. And we can resist that or we can work with God and partner with him. And so there are some things we can do to help to cultivate this crop of joy in our lives. Paul could be joyful in prison because he was thankful and he was partnering with God in all that God was doing in his life. So let's look today at this passage at four, very briefly, four ways that we can help to bring this abundant harvest of joy forth in our lives. The first thing we see in verse 3 is we need to develop an attitude of gratitude. Paul talks there about being thankful. He says, I thank my God every time 
I remember you. See, when we try to subsist off the emotion of just happiness, when it's dependent on whether things go our way or not, we can be like a plant that's watered, you know, not too deeply. When you have a plant or a garden or a tree or something and you don't water it deeply, what kind of roots does it develop? Shallow roots, right? And so it makes it more, more uh, susceptible to disease and to drought and to a storm coming and blowing it over. Instead, we need to be like those desert plants that have to send their taproot deep down to access that life-giving water. Paul could be joyful in the desert of prison because he was thankful not for the things in his life, not for the circumstances in his life, for the people in his life. There in verse 3, what's he thankful for? He's thankful for you. He's thankful for the Philippians that he's writing to. Look uh, on over at verses 7 and 8. He says, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And then if you'll flip over to Philippians chapter 4, let's look at verses 10 through 13. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at the last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know that I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. We can do all things through Christ. We can even have an attitude of gratitude and a spirit of joyfulness when we focus on the people and the blessings that God has brought into our lives. Stop focusing on the things, the stuff that you have or don't have. Stop trying to find joy in material possessions. It's not about the presence under the tree. It's about the presence of the people around your life. Be joyful in the relationships that you have. It's true that the richest man is the man who has the most friends, not the man that has the most money in his bank account. Develop an attitude of gratitude. Secondly... He says we need to pray with joy. Look at verse 4. He says, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. So just as gratitude for the people and blessings in our lives can replace the, the fleeting false promises of possessions, so praying with joy can replace that worldly pursuit of pleasure. You know, people think that it's in the things that they have, in the experiences they have, in the fun that they have, in the pleasure that they feel. People think that's where they find happiness. And it's not true. The Greek word that Paul uses here, it's the common word in the New Testament for joy. It's the word kara. And it's the opposite of the word hedona. Hedona means pleasure. It's where we get the word hedonism from. So pleasure is a shallow emotion. It's dependent on what happens to us. But the joy of the Lord, that is our strength. And that word joy, kara, it appears 59 times in the New Testament. But in the same time period the New Testament was written, you rarely ever find it in any other writings uh, in, in, in the Roman world at that time. You hardly ever hear joy about in any secular writing. Joy was one of the distinguishing characteristics of the early church. 
Greco-Roman world was a pessimistic world. It was a world uh, that was often despairing. And the few times that you do find that word kara used outside of Christian writings, it's never referring to this inner, deep uh, joy of the soul. It's used more like just the, 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 the fleeting, surface-level happiness. But Paul here, writing about kara, writing about joy, he connects it, surprisingly, to prayer. Because prayer is the quickest way to change our attitudes, isn't it? If you want to change your attitude about life, about your work situation or your school situation or or your relationships, pray about it. If you have a hard time experiencing joy at work or while you're doing homework, or you have a hard time experiencing joy because you're shut up at home with COVID-19, pray about it. It may not change your circumstances, but I guarantee it will change your perspective. It will change your heart. We need to choose to pray with joy. Third, we need to cultivate community. Look at verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. One of the reasons that Paul is joyful is because he belongs to a community of believers who are partnering with him in carrying out the Great Commission and spreading the gospel. Christian community is an indispensable part of reaping a harvest of joy in our lives. There's a reason that Paul commands believers to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. Because the beauty and the power of life together in the church is that when something bad is going on in my life, I can rejoice with you over the good things that are happening in your life. I can share in your joy. And then when the tables are turned, I can weep with you. Because when one part of the body suffers, every part of the body suffers with it. There's comfort in knowing I'm not alone. And there's joy in being able to help someone else know they're not alone. Paul writes on in Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. You see, simple happiness is solitary. I can be happy or sad on my own, by myself, with no one else around me. But joy always is communal. Because joy is contagious. You can't bottle it up and keep it to yourself. You can't put a mask on it. It's going to bubble out. It's going to spill over into the lives of those around us. This is the reason why Christian community is so important. This is the reason why small groups and Sunday school classes are so important because it's in these smaller Christian community that that we get to know each other on a deeper, deeper level, that we get to share life together, that we can both give and receive comfort and encouragement. It's a group of people you can rejoice and weep with. And like Paul says, I love this expression, our Christian family, they become our joy and our crown. They become the ones who help us to stand firm in the Lord. Moms and dads, it's especially important that you be a part of a Sunday school small group and that you get your children involved in Sunday school and in youth and children's ministries because that gives them Christian friends that can help them withstand temptations and discouragement and to counteract the lies of the world. And you can help your friends develop, not, your children develop not only deeper friendships with with other Christian young people, but with Christian adults who will love them and who will encourage them and who will pray for them and who will model for them the Christian values that you want to instill in them. And when we grow in Christian community, guess what? 
we grow. We mature. The New Testament time and again talks about us maturing as members of the body of Christ. We help each other bear the fruit that remains. I need you. I need you to hold me accountable. I need you to pray for me. I need you to encourage me. I need you to give me a community in which I can love and serve and forgive and pray for and bear with one another. We can't fulfill those one another commandments on our own. We need Christian community. And listen, this is so relevant to us today more than ever. Because of COVID-19, because of all of the restrictions, we're so separate from each other. And people who are spending all this time at home, listen, I understand you may not be able to physically be here right now because of legitimate health concerns. But all the more reason for you to be intentional about cultivating that community. When you can't come and gather together, you have to be even more intentional to keep in touch with your Sunday school class, to reach out to those people that you sat with in worship. Don't let the the social distancing hamper the cultivation of Christian community in your life. Because it's when we cultivate community that we reap a harvest of joy. And for those of you that are here and that are coming, listen, reach out to those people that you know are not here. Reach out. We we all need to be reaching out to those that we've not seen in a while, those people who aren't in your Sunday school class on a regular basis. And you help to cultivate that community with them. And don't let them fall through the cracks. We need each other. Amen? And we need each other now more than ever. We need to develop an attitude of gratitude. We need to pray with joy. We need to cultivate community. And finally, Paul says in verse 6, we need to trust in the Lord. He says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It doesn't get any simpler than that. Trust in the Lord. You know, Paul was in prison. He couldn't be there to help these Philippians that he was longing for. But he wasn't worried about them. He trusted that God was going to complete His good work in them. He goes on in verse 7 and 8 to talk about this as well. To talk about it doesn't matter whether He's in chains or He's out there doing the work of the gospel. He knew that they were sharing God's grace with Him. In Philippians 4.4, 4, He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. So, so Paul's confidence wasn't in himself wasn't in the Philippians, it wasn't in Timothy who was going to be delivering this letter for him. His confidence was in the Lord. See, we often put too much uh, faith in our ability to fix things, don't we? we? We think that we're somehow in control. Or we demand that other people live up to our high expectations of them. And guess what? When you do all of those things, you know what's going to happen? You're going to be disappointed. You're going to disappoint yourself. People are going to disappoint you. But when we trust in God, to work in our lives and in the lives of other people, then we can just receive those people into our lives with joy. We can love them as they are and enjoy our relationships with them. Because love requires us to love people as they are. It's like the hymn we sing, Just As I Am. We have to love people just as they are. But you know what else love requires? Love requires us to speak truth to them. If you love somebody, you're going to be truthful to them. And we can't rely on our wisdom. We can't rely on our strength to change them. We can love them with honest, gentle truthfulness. We can pray for them. We can model Christ-likeness for them. But then we have to entrust them to God. Because it's God's job to convict of sin. 
It's God's job to save. It's God's job to help people to grow into fullness in Christ and to transform their hearts. That's not my job. That's not your job. And if we think that's our job and we try to do that, we're going to be frustrated. Moms and dads, when it comes to raising your children, when we let them grow up and someday have to let them go, we can do that with joy because we trust the Lord to complete the good work He's begun in their lives. When it comes to having a gospel conversation with someone, a coworker, a family member, a friend, we can share with them how we came to Jesus and the difference He's made in our lives. We can explain the gospel to them. We can love them and serve them and pray for them. And we can patiently wait for the Lord to work in their lives. There's a freedom. There's a joy in our relationship with them, no matter how they respond to the gospel. Whether they ever become a believer in Christ or not. Because that's not our job. Our job isn't to convict or to convince them of anything. We have a conversation. We develop a relationship with them. We live out for them imperfectly, albeit, but that's a part of the gospel as well. We live out for them a Christian life. And we trust God to work in their hearts. Gratitude replaces greed. Joyful prayer replaces pleasure. Trust replaces a lot of things. Worry, judgmentalism, the tendency that we have to try to manipulate and control and micromanage things. Because let's be honest, all of those things, what's the end result of them? Frustration, fear, worry, sorrow, disappointment, weariness, not joy. Are you ever joyful when you're trying to micromanage things? Are you joyful if you're being judgmental of the people in your life? No. We need to stop pursuing stuff and pleasure and worry Because none of these things can ever make us joyful. Listen one more time to Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, because the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, with that attitude of gratitude, by prayer and petition, he says, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all our understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Listen, we can live joyful lives no matter what's happening to us or around us. We can reap an abundant crop of true, abiding, contagious joy. And, and, and that happens when we cultivate these practices. Gratitude and prayer and community And faith in God. And like the shepherds, like Mary and Joseph, like the women and the disciples on that resurrection Sunday, we can rejoice and we can spread good news and we can be made new. Sure, there might still be some fear mixed in there from time to time. Yes, we might still find ourselves growing weary. Yes, we're still going to experience times of sorrow and grief. But we can always return to the well for more living water. We can always trust that our seeds of grief and worry and weariness can be transformed into a harvest of joy. And when you find yourself weary, like so many of us are these days, if we're honest, we can find joy and rest in Jesus. Because as the shepherds were told, He came to bring good news of great joy to all people, to you and to me. Listen to this invitation 
from Jesus. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me. Learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What heavy burden are you carrying today? What is making you weary? You might have a bag full of seeds of sorrow that you're carrying today. Give them to Jesus. Lay them down at His feet. Let Him take them and transform them into a harvest of joy in your life. Let Him give you that peace that passes all understanding, that guards your heart and your mind. As we stand and sing in a moment, this altar is open. Maybe you need to physically, for you, it's helpful to physically come and to kneel down and to lay those burdens down. Maybe you bow your head in the pew right now where you are or at home and you just give up to Jesus whatever it is that's wearing you out and let Him give you His rest and His joy. Maybe today you're still carrying the yoke of sin. You've you've got this burden on your shoulders of sin that are separating you from God. And you've added to that this yoke, this burden of trying to somehow take care of these sins on your own. You're, You're trying to wash your hands clean. Guess what? You never can. You never will. You're trying to work and do all these good things and and live life a certain way, thinking that somehow that's going to make you right with God. Guess what? It never will. You're just laboring under a heavy burden. Jesus says, give that to me. Give me your sins. Give me your shame and your guilt. Let me take that off of you and put on you a yoke that is easy, a burden that is light. Come to Jesus today. Turn from your sins and trust Him for your salvation. Let's stand together and let's pray. You come as the Holy Spirit leads you. Father, we are so thankful that no matter what is happening in our life, no matter what is going on in the world, no matter how despairing the news might be, in You we can find rest. In You we have peace. In You there is abundant joy. And if there's anyone here today that that seems like a distant thing for them, it seems like something they can never attain, I pray they would turn to you in faith and trust and say, How long, O Lord? I don't know how to make this better, but I trust that you do. God, I pray that you would help each and every one of us to develop that, that attitude of gratitude, that we would look at the things that we know are blessings from you and give you thanks for them, especially the people in our lives, that we would pray with joy as a choice to cultivate that, to cultivate community by making sure that we are plugged in and engaged with your people. And ultimately, God, give us the faith that we need to trust in you, that you will see all things through to their completion. Father, forgive us for when we're stubborn, for when we try to do it all on our own. And if there's anyone here today that needs to release that and let go of it and surrender to you, I pray they would do it right now. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.